0: Father, we just thank you, Lord. We just thank you. We just thank you. We just thank you, Lord. Thank you above all today for the gift of life. That we are alive. That we are in your house. We are in your presence. Thank you. Thank you, Father. One more day in the land of the living. To prepare. To seek your face, to fulfill your purpose. Thank you, Father. Many did not rise to see another day. Many among them have gone into an eternity unprepared. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of life today. This morning, even as we look into your word, I pray, the entrance of your word will continue to bring light. For you are light. And in you there is no darkness. May your light continue to reveal the darkness in us. That we can forsake the darkness, walk into thy light. Closer and closer each day, Lord. Help us to believe when you show. Help us to obey when your spirit nudges. Help us, Lord. Come at this time into thy hands. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You know, yesterday uh, at that meeting, I mean, it was like Pastor Vidya was talking about it. I mean, they were also from two other churches, uh, from Charminar and from Samshab. not some what are they? Shatnagar, from Shatnagar. And they were there the whole day. I mean, we finished at 9, 9.30, and they were still there. They wouldn't leave. I mean, I mean, we'd sometimes we just complained we have only two restrooms here and one downstairs. For all the people, they had only one place. And it didn't matter to them. And they were sitting up the steps. So I had to say about remember Eutychus. And they remembered Eutychus. And I was thinking, okay, we sometimes think, okay, these people are so poor, illiterate, and they don't know, probably don't know their word. They knew Eutychus. And they were laughing to see that nobody fell down from the steps. Okay, So you meet, you meet God in places where we sometimes do not expect God surprises us. But he's been surprising me for 24 years, turning up in all those places I have been. So this morning we will go back to Joshua chapter 3. Then Joshua rose early in the morning and they set out from the acacia Grove and came to Jordan. <clears throat> He and all the children of Israel and lodged there before they crossed over. So it was after three days that the officers went through the camp. And they commanded the people saying, When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the priests, the Levites, bearing it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. Okay, today I want to look at that term. Um, continue our study, to go after God. Okay. The two calls of God, Pastor Vijay explained, taught so beautifully on Sunday about the call to come to him and to call to go after him. The second call, and both these calls are real. And both these calls are from God. If you look at this generation, unlike the previous generation, and you will see this thing consistent with this generation, and also subsequent generations of Israel, if you look at the history, what makes this particular generation so different, because this is the only generation in Israel's history who overcame and had rest, During all the days of their life, only one generation of all generations of Israel was their zeal and passion for God and for his purpose. The previous generation also had, other generations also had, but it was in batches. It was never continuous. See, one of the things which I always look for in my travels, wherever I go and all my life, I look after I come to the Lord is people who are passionate for God consistently. It's very rare to find. I look back in the life of all the believing friends whom I had over the years, and what stuns me is that most of them have reset their life, and they, instead of going forward, they have kind of become very complacent in their walk with God. You know, do we have this passion? To go after God all our life. All our life. The thing is that when we really encounter God, what will fascinate us is that He can never be fully known. There is always something about Him that surprises you each day, which should keep your passion alive. One day a teacher of the law comes to Jesus and asks this question. Which is the most important? Let's look at it. One of the scribes came and having heard them reasoning together, perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, which is the first commandment of all? Which is the most important commandment? I mean, he is a Hebrew, he's a priest, he's a scribe. There are so many laws of Moses. He says, of all these hundreds and hundreds of laws, which is the most important? Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. Okay. One of the translation, the message, if I am right, talks about that. You need to be absolutely Passionate for God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength. The you first command. You see, the thing is this, like I was talking to that church over there, is that when we fail in our first step, we fail in all the subsequent steps. No, math teachers will tell you <laughs> when you teach math, okay. If you go wrong in the first step everything else will go wrong. Everything else will go wrong. You know why we struggle? And it's not that we will not fail. All men of God, except for Jesus, everybody has failed. But if you see the ones who all finished and kept on getting up and moving on and finishing ultimately well is because they always had the first step right. They always were passionate about God. Always passionate about God. They always loved God with all their heart. They were very passionate about God. This is what God is talking about. What is the most important thing in life? Is to be passionate about God. Seek God passionately. Love God passionately. Serve God passionately. Trust God passionately. You see, except when it comes to God in this world, except when it comes to Christ, not God, Christ, Jesus, the living God, if you're passionate about anything else, you will be recognized. Have you noticed? If you're passionate about your studies, which is a good thing, but you'll be always lifted up as being being the role model student. Student should be like that. If you're passionate about your career, people will say, that's the way you need to be. If you're passionate about sports, you will say, wow, that guy, look at him. Or music or anything in this world. If you're passionate about God, you will be called a radical. About Christ. If you're passionate about any other God, there is no issue in this world. Right? Even Google believes in that. That if you look at Google search engine, right? What was that? Yesterday I got one saying that they have configured in such way that if you search you will get Muhammad, you will get Buddha, but you want to get Christ. Okay. In various apps you will see this because no, the whole system the whole world system, everything that is around us is configured in such a way to discourage people from being passionate about the living God. Because the devil knows maths very well. If you miss in the first step, you're going nowhere. You'll go nowhere. It doesn't matter step two is right, step three is right, step four is right, step four, final answer will be still wrong. That's what God tells the efficient church. Your step, everything is good, 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 good. But, step one is gone. You have lost your first love. Therefore, you don't come back to that. I am taking my lamp away. You can continue meeting. You can continue with your programs. But I won't come. That's what he told the church, actually. I won't come. And you have no clue how many tens and thousands of churches are continuing with their services with no Christ. Because he said, you don't need me. You're not passionate about me. I'm going to go all these little, little, little places where people are so passionate about me. Discomfort doesn't matter. Time doesn't matter. Heat doesn't matter. Lack of water doesn't matter. Nothing matters. They are passionate about me. They don't know much about me, but they're passionate about of me. I am going to be there. I am welcomed there. Passion, it really matters. Passion really matters. This is the end. Entire truth about the in the Bible revealed about God. Be passionate. When it comes to doing things for God, be passionate. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 23. Whatever you do, do it heartily. He says it will be automatically seen. When you're passionate about God, the passion will start flowing into all the other things which you do. There will be a passion in which you do, because you know you are doing it unto the Lord. He says, be passionate in whatever you do. But you cannot have this consistent other areas of your life if you miss step one. In Romans 12 and verse 11, Scripture says, Not lagging in diligence, but fervent in the Spirit in serving the Lord. Be fervent, be passionate in serving the Lord. Because, as like I said, everything in this world, everything is tuned to dampen our fervency. Everything it takes. We know about fire, physical fire we know. We know what is combustible, what helps in the fire and what does not help in the fire. So one thing we don't do if you want the fire burning is pour water over it. But what we don't realize is the nature of spiritual fire. We don't realize everything in this world is basically to put that fire out. So you see over and over and over people in the Bible, people in history, people in life you encounter, those who have lost their initial zeal. And scripture keeps on encouraging us to come back to it. Even Paul looks at Timothy and says, Paul, what's wrong with you, Timothy? Look at me, I'm an old man. Look at you, young fellow. Where's your zeal gone? Send back to flames. He's a young guy, young disciple, but lost his zeal. An old man Paul has to encourage this young one and says, Get back, because I know you won't finish if you lose your zeal. Okay. What I'm saying, you don't have to lose your zeal. You don't. There is a God who provides the strength to do what he has called you to do. But you don't lose your zeal. Because if you lose your zeal, your passion for Christ, it will affect everything else. It will affect your home, it will affect your work, it will affect your studies, it will affect everything. It goes. But the key is not to lose your zeal for God. Because it's worth that passion. If you are not passionate about God and you are passionate about everything else, what does it actually reflect about our God? Think about it. Let's forget the world. We are supposed to be believers. We are supposed to know the living God. We are the one who knows he died for us, and he saved us, and he's prepared. We, say, we, we confess all these wonderful statements, but if we are not passionate about him, what do we show the world? And we laugh at the people who say, oh, these poor people, they don't know God, they're serving idols. At least he's passionate about his idol. Accept that, Whether it is rain, whether it is thunder, he comes, he dances, he does all. He at least has passion for his God. Give him that credit. We have no passion. When we sit with the word, we have no passion. It's a duty. When we worship, it is a duty. When we pray, it is a duty. We are more like Solomon, not like David. David was a passionate man of God. What does Solomon have to say at the end of the life? Fear God and obey all his commands. This is the duty of man. That is Solomon. Everything is a duty for him. King David, you couldn't stop him dancing. It didn't matter who he was because he was passionate about God. And therefore God says, I'm passionate about him. You know, we expect God to be passionate about us when we are not passionate about God. Ask God to not let that fire die down. Because we need to ask ourselves, Lord, rekindle that fire in me for you. Because I know it's not that I cannot be passionate because I am passionate about other things. So it is not that I don't know how to be passionate. It's the only thing my passion is misdirected. And if I'm passionate about you, everything else in my life will start falling into place. Let's look at one of the things that kills passion in our life for God. In Psalm 127, verse 2, Scripture says, It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he gives his beloved sleep. This is a very practical suggestion in Scripture. Scripture says, it is pointless. It's pointless. You're stressed out. You're stressed out. There's no balance in your life. A lot of people have no balance in your life. They are everywhere. And God did not create us to be everywhere. The only thing he created to be everywhere is air and water. And we are neither. Everywhere. And by the time we are so tired, and then at the end of the day, oh, thank you Lord, thank you for taking care of you and going back to sleep. Everywhere. That's what he's saying. It's vain for you. At the end of the day, we all grow old, and we all die, and somebody takes all we worked for. Where there is a will, there are relatives. Not a way. There are two proverbs. One is where there is a will, there is a way. The other one, where there is a will, there is, there are many relatives. It's what he said. It's pointless. Pointless. So There's no balance. You know, we talk much about faith, but there are two components. It's like two sides of, of, of uh, a coin. It's, Primary facet about life. In life, there are two things which we need to know. One, we need to give and we need to take. Both are there. All of us, we don't even realize. No, we are unbalanced in that, okay? In a family, in a husband and wife relationship, one has to give, one also has to take. That's why we say give and take. Faith has two components. There is in faith where we have to receive from God. In faith we also have to give unto God. Both are there. If we are unbalanced in this, we will be like this man in Psalm 127 verse 2. Without faith, remember, I cannot receive anything from God. The importance of faith is that if you want to receive anything from God, I need faith. Without faith, it's impossible to receive anything from God. Other than the normal things which he gives everybody, believer or unbeliever, to anything specific from God, I need faith. In the same way, without faith, I cannot do anything for God. I can do what normally NGOs or other people, all religious people do, I can also do. But I can do anything specific which what God wants me to do without faith. So faith has two components to take and to give. That is the balance. Because what happens is there are people in the kingdom who are forever giving in the world and in the kingdom. Giving, 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 but not taking. You know what happens? You finally stop caring. You're giving, but you don't care anymore. I'll explain to you what it means. On the other hand, there are others who are forever taking. In the kingdom, it means you will never miss a meeting. You'll listen to messages all the time. TV, internet, radio. You attend every seminar in town. Every Bible study. But you don't give anything out. There is only one sea in the world like that. It is called the Dead Sea in Israel. It's called? Water flows into it. It never flows out. So even fish cannot live in that water. The salt is so thick, you can actually float on the water in Dead Sea. Nothing flows out. Forever taking, 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 but giving nothing out. And that's what God is talking about. We have to give. We have to give. We have to take. If you only give, 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 what happens is after some time sometime it becomes a habit, and our heart is not involved in it. You'll meet them in primary examples of two public places where you have to give, whether you like it or not. One is the hospital, other are schools and colleges. Teachers are forever giving, but they don't care for the student at all. They don't care where you go. They don't care about your future. They are not bothered. They are giving, 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 preparing, giving, preparing, giving, but you are not a person for them anymore. You will see nurses like that. Excellent. Excellent. But don't get too close. They bite. But treatment, fantastic. It's all habit. And that happens in the kingdom of God too. People give, 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 but the heart is not touched at all. And God says, that's not what you are. Jesus was touched by our infirmities. He wore himself out physically with the labor of ministry, but every time he looked at people, he had compassion. He was not a compassionless person. He was the most compassionate person. There has to be balance. Always balance. I have to receive and I have to give. I have to receive I have to give so that I don't lose the heart in the process, because a lot of active heartless people are there in the world. And God says we should never become like that. In First Timothy chapter four and verse seven, it says, "Exercise yourself towards godliness." It's an exercise. An exercise. Exercise yourself constantly, meaning balances. In every exercise there is balance. Every exercise there is balance. And scripture says, exercise yourself. Be balanced, that you receive and you give. And even Paul, when he introduces communion in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he will say, what I received from the Lord, I also give to you. I have received, give it away. I have received, give it away. I have received, give it away. So see that you are in a place where you are continuously receiving. See that you are in a place where you are also continuously giving. Otherwise, if you just receive without giving, what will you become? A dead sea. And if you are just giving without receiving, you will be like Cape Town. You will be like what? Cape Town. Only Pastor Vijay knows what it is. Cape Town is the first city in the world facing an absolute total drought. They are running out of water. There is no water at all. Okay, meaning finally you dry up. You have all the people in the city but no water to drink. Meaning activities are going on but no water. The Holy Spirit has dried up in our lives. Activities are going on. You see, activities are there everywhere. None of our social activities which we call ministry, none of these activities are special to us alone. It's there everywhere. Hindus do it. Muslims do it. Buddhists do it. Jains do it. Or they all do it. Some of them do it. much better than us. Honestly, much, much better than us. But the river has stopped flowing. Okay, so be careful. That's what God is talking about to children of Israel. Be passionate about God. Second thing you need to realize. in First Peter chapter 4 and verse 10. This is a CEV version, okay? Each of you have been blessed with one of God's many wonderful gifts to be used in the service of others. So use your gift well. Everybody, everybody here has a gift. Mine is very simple. My gift is to teach. But everybody, there's nobody who is ungifted. But you need to know, find out from God what your gift is. And the thing is, use your gift. Your gift was not for you. Your gift was, the minute I start deciding and end up studying for myself, revelation will stop. Because it is to be Given. It will stop. Because God said it was not for you. God has uniquely given us. Everyone sitting here. Certain gifts. That are not for. Our benefit. These are for. Service of others. Service of others. Sadly. In this world. Current world. Unlike old days. Current world. Most people are stuck in careers where their uniquely God-given gifts are very rarely used. You will see them, especially in India. Also, you will see them all over. If you check their resumes and check what they actually studied, you go to America. You will see Indians. All these people they're in this car wash. They're washing cars, and you talk to him and find out what are you doing, how much you earn, and then say where did you come from? They'll say Hyderabad. What did you do in BBS? What? What did you do? What were you trained to for? Treat people. What are you doing? Treating cars. <laughs> so many people like that in the kingdom of God. They have been gifted uniquely with a gift by God. God has given everybody. But what are they doing? Something else. Car- you are stuck in careers. Stuck in careers. That's why you look at a modern generation. By the time they have reached 40, 45, they have had 15, 20 jobs. Look at the old generation. Maximum one or two. stuck to one. It's not good. We are called living stones, not rolling stones. But Christians more identify with that band group, done with scripture. You need to find what your gift is and trust God. He will put you in a place where that gift will be maximized because you are gifted for a reason, for a purpose. It was for the benefit of others. If you don't give away or use your gift, you are going to lose your passion for God. Telling you, if you do not use your gift, you are going to lose your passion for God. Doesn't matter what you are. I I talked to young ones, Peter, Abel and all, when I meet them, I tell them one thing, remember, you're a worship leader, If you're a worship leader, that means in your life, personally, you're passionate about worship. You're not passionate about your worship. Actually, you cannot be a worship leader. You have to give it away because you're passionate about it. You have to use it in your personal life and then you give it away and God opens more and more and more doors. If you don't give away that gift, continuously keep using that gift, what actually happens is you start losing your passion for God and you don't even realize it. You don't even realize it. You know? That's why we we always ask God, Lord, open the doors, open the doors, open the doors. You've given us this gift. Open the doors. It doesn't matter where it is. We will go, but let that door be from you and only give us the strength to Handle that physical strain, but we will go because we know the more we give it away, the more we are tuned to the passion of God. Passion of God. Okay. Don't lose your passion. Don't waste your talent. The fact is that in this secular realm, you will find. Your gift, God-given gift, is not going to be used. They don't care. That is where the church comes in. That's where the church comes in. Where you identify your gift and you go to the church leadership and say, Here am I, use me as you fit. Pastors like me will not first use your gift. Will first taste your faithfulness. Whether you will do whatever you are told. Before you can be told to do what you want to do. Because more than a talent in the kingdom of God, something which has even more value is faithfulness. There are many people here who came and left, came and left, came and left, came and left. Because all of them came to me for one purpose, whether I would give them the pulpit. I am not going to give the pulpit to anybody who hasn't established his faithfulness first to the church and in their walk with God, steady without losing their passion. In the pastor's conference, everywhere, Lord, Pastor Vijay also knows they will come to me every time and say, the way they start talking, I want to laugh. I look at that, you know, Pastor, uh. You see, the message is so good. First they flatter you. So great, so wonderful. Then you say, but, oh, the message is lost in the translation. And then, you know, I have a very good translator. I looked at him, I look at them and say, You know, brother, that man who translated for me, I love him because he's humble. Then he doesn't know anything to say. I'm telling you. You meet all kinds of people everywhere. Okay. The thing is, you have to establish your faithfulness first. Okay, And then when you establish your faithfulness, God will keep on using opening doors for that talent which He gave you to be used. It is not, here I am, use my talent. No, here I am, use me. Here I am, use me. You should be, when you start your life young, when you start your life think like a dustbin. Use me. That's what's written on the dustbin, right? Use me. Does it say, only put good things in me? No. Use me. Begin like that. Lord, here I am. Use me. Whatever you say. Don't put conditions what I can be used. It's irrelevant. Relevant. That's how God has picked up people. He picked up people. He's looking. If you look through the Bible, you will see God picking, looking at all these people who said, here I am. Use me for this. God said, you're not good. Sorry, you're not good. His name was Moses. Here I am. Use me. God said, I will use you, but you're not good. First, I'll use you as a husband for 40 years. Then I will use you as a leader. So Jatra threw rubbish at him, Jatra's wife threw rubbish, Jipura threw rubbish at him, he took it, took it, took it. When he was full and ready, God said, Now come out and go use. Okay. That's how God does. You see, we can do a lot of stuff our way, but God has his own particular in way in He works, and it's wonderful and peaceful and restful to know and understand the ways of God. Okay. So understand you have a gift. Everybody has a gift. Nobody will ever stand before God one day and say, Lord, why did you create me without a gift? He says, beg your pardon, what did you say? I created somebody without a gift. Right? I've told this story, but I guess you young ones have. That kid died. He, he was born with this deformity. It was growing in his body, he was—he he could hardly move. At the most he could move was a hand. But his mother used to uh, drop him with his, all the stuff he needed under this tree. And he would sit there, he had his food, everything. And with his stick, he would collect all the nuts that fell from that tree every day. He would collect and gather it. And when his mother comes back after a few hours, he's got this bag of nuts which is sold in the local market which is the money which supported a missionary in Africa. Because he said, this is one thing I can do, pick nuts. And I will allow God to use it to me till I die. Until he died, that's how that boy lived. Okay. I'm telling you when we reach heaven we're going to hang our heads in shame. When we see people who have passionate about God and gave their lives over to serve Him. Okay. You see, often our attitude is like this in Isaiah when God speaks our response. He said to me, You are my servant, O Israel, in whom I will be glorified. He tells everyone, You are my servant. You are uniquely talented by me and you will be glorified in that. You will glorify me in that. Then I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and in vain. Yet surely my just reward is with the Lord and my work with Him. He says, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and in vain. Often our response is like that. God says no. That attitude has to change. Attitude has to change. Because often we do not see The result of a passionate labor for God, sometimes even in our own lifetime. And I, I know you have heard it when I spoke to you from 2nd Timothy of Apostle Paul. Think about Apostle Paul, like I said last Sunday, no? Apostle Paul, or Wednesday. I had an issue in my body, a messenger from Satan, three times. I asked the Lord three times, God said, Three times God said no, at least for him three times, for us one is enough. Imagine after that it is written about Paul, third time God said no, after that Paul decided to cut short many of his trips. After some time he decided to stick to one town, he stopped preaching, he became a part of a mainline church, he started going home once a month. Then he decided he will go three times a year. Slowly he decided church is not useful. I will sit at home and read all because God did not answer my prayer. That's how Christians behave. But that's not how that man of God behaved till the end. God didn't answer my prayer. Therefore, I am quitting on God. Think about it. Children, young people, old people all react like that. But that man, at the end of his life, has lost everything, lying in jail, abandoned by his church, abandoned by his disciples, abandoned by everybody, and still gung-ho about serving God. Did he ever see the fruit of his labor in his lifetime? No. Do we see the fruit of his labor till today? Yes. Yes. He never lost his zeal for Christ. And my prayer for myself and for you is, don't lose your zeal for Christ. Don't lose. So often people live like this. My life is in vain. It's no point in serving God. That's the doctrine of, not Job, the doctrine of Job's wife. <laughs> Where are the children? All God. Where is the money? All God. Curse God and I? Why are you living like this? If you serve a God, he should be like Baal. Serve him, be blessed. If he doesn't bless you instantaneously, leave him. It's not worth serving him. It's a false doctrine, and we lose our passion for God. In Luke 6 and verse 38, a fundamental principle of God. God says, give, and it will be given to you. And he says, the way he gives to you, you won't be able to handle it. You won't be able to handle it, he says. But the principle is this. A fundamental principle of the kingdom. God says, if you want more, you need to give. That's the only way it works. If you don't give more of yourself, you're not going to receive more of God in your life. If you want more of God in your life, he you says, give out more of yourself. As you pour out what God has uniquely given you, that will be poured out into your life. Know your primary gift and work hard at giving it away and keep giving it away. Keep giving it away. In Romans 14 and verse 12, scripture says, So each of us shall give an account of himself to God. It says, Stunning Day it is going to be, when we all stand before God, not for judgment, for sin, no, no, not that. The unbeliever, the believer stand before Christ and God says, okay, give me an account of your gift. I gave you a gift. What did you do with it? What did you do with it? What did you do? You see, we should enter into heaven like Paul. When Paul entered into heaven, he had almost, I believe, reached the full measure of Christ. He is full of the wisdom and the knowledge of Christ. Why? Because he had given it all away. So he was filled. Give me an account. Give me an account. One of the things... You learn from the parable of the talents is about the man who hid his talent. It was not his to be hidden. The gift you and I have is not ours. It was given to us for a purpose. So when the master came, he says, where is, give me an account. And he said, you gave me one here, take it back. It's that useless fellow. Unprofitable fellow. What did you do? What did you do? Understand this. We'll have all have to stand one day before God. And we'll all have to ask God, Lord, why? He will ask, where? Why didn't you use your gift which I gave you? Let's come to the third one. For me, it's third, not in the list, but I put it third because I believe this is the most important of all the three we are looking at. Sometimes people with incredible gifts are not used by God. We wish. No? Why Lord? Why? There is a third pillar. Probably the central pillar. This is how Galatians 5-6 talks about. Because everything is related to faith. Everything that you take and give out in the kingdom of God is uh, related to faith. And faith without works is dead. So we are talking about the works of faith. But, in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything. But, what? Faith? How does faith work through? Works through love. Faith has to work true love Paul in his most important chapter about love everybody knows the most important chapter in the bible about love is not the song of solomon song of songs it is 1st corinthians 13 in 1st corinthians 13 verses 1 to 3 he's talking about our work things and gifts Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal, meaning in an empty vessel. We know that. okay? Empty vessel. Though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And nothing. He says you got the entire resume of all the stuff you have done but it was not done in love. You have nothing. You take a calendar which is full of activities of social activities where you did so much for people when you stand before God he looks at all that thing and he says you did so much but he says there is no spine. There is no spine. It was not done in love. So you are nothing. Nothing. Though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor. You gave your entire fortune to feed the poor. And though I give my body to be sacrificially usurped. But have not love. It profits me nothing on that day. It will profit you nothing on that day. Nothing. It's a stunning eye-opener. He says, imagine about philanthropy, even everybody talks about Bill Gates because he's given a tiny portion of his fortune for social causes. And he so, says, wow, what a philanthropist. You know, all these things we talk about, people who give a tiny fortune. Here he's talking about a man who has given everything. Entire fortune to feed the poor. The world will applaud that man. Or somebody who has sacrificially served. Wasted his entire body and health for the purpose of serving others. But God said, if it was not done in love, it will profit you nothing on that day. Nothing on that day. That's why the question of passion. God's kingdom. God says you need to understand what is primary is not activity, but how that activity is done. In verse 13, God will say, Now abide faith, hope, love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. That's what I said. You see this everywhere. Especially where social activity takes place. Especially hospitals and education in school, college, everywhere. Incredibly efficient people. Unbelievably unkind. They should have these things written on the back. If you draw claws, I bite. <laughs> Think about it. Think about it. If God dealt with us that way. Consider NIV in Psalm 107 verse 30 20 will say, Who are his wise? Let him heed these things and consider the great love of God. Consider. Think about it. Many are not able to give out love simply because they have not received or experienced the love of God in their own lives. That's one of the primary reasons. They have not received or experienced God's love personally in their life. So they are not, you cannot give what you don't have. So you end up giving what you have. What is that you have? A training to do something and unkindness. So professionally, very good. But as a person, stay far. And God says, that's not my people. That's not my people. Think about it. Just think. Think. That's one of our prayers, my wife and I pray, and we asked all of our churches to pray, is in these last days, Lord, expose everyone, but it doesn't matter how high, how socially acceptable people these are, expose everyone who has abused children. And you see it happening. See the guy who was... The doctor for the U.S. Olympic Athletic Association, how many years did he get? 145 years in prison for abusing children who were in his care. 145 years. And you had to listen to what the judge said as she was reading out his sentence. 104. Why? Why? Because these are the most vulnerable among everybody vulnerable among. The most vulnerable is a child. And child abuse is the worst in God's eyes. Worst in God's eyes. Worst. And you need to realize that's what is happening. All big, big names are crashing because their history, hidden history is coming out. They have messed up with children. Messed up with children something which God doesn't accept because he says, you know, you think about, you, you understand in normal terms, you think about an ambassador who is appointed to Delhi, let's say for Delhi. He's, ambas- he has, he's the appointed ambassador, but he's not officially the ambassador until he presents what is called his credentials to the Rashapati, to the President of India. For that a date is fixed. Let us say he came on January 1st, he's still waiting, because the date is not fixed. Let us say February 28th, the date is given. Let us say He's from Sudan. He comes officially, presents his credentials to the president. From that day, he's the ambassador of Sudan to India. So you have to wait. Think about a hypothetical situation like that billions of people on earth and the angels are carrying back and forth threads to God from people. Only one set of angels have access to God all the time. Those are the angels of the children, Jesus says. They don't have to wait. Go straight in because the father's heart is for the children. And you will see the same law of God, righteousness in the system being implanted. You abuse children. The law will throw the book at you. Throw the book at you. So you have to be careful. Very, very careful. God is very zealous for that. That's why the worst form of satanic abuse has been the Pharaoh killing all the children, Herod killing all the children, and the abortion industry running Amok. You have to see the reaction of the liberal media when Trump signed the order banning. That is, you look at it, how the system has changed. That during the abortion process, if the baby that comes, which is to be killed, but did not die, survives earlier, you could kill the baby still. But he has banned it, so people are upset. Wickedness of man. Wickedness of man. Now, you have to understand how the society is degrading down to the pits. That's why I said the 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 heart of a person, the morality of a nation is always reflected in the way we treat our children. The, the, the most vulnerable, the one who are the most helpless are the babies. Are the babies. Most helpless. They they're indefensible. How can what can they do? And like we kept said, God had created the most safe place for a baby. Uniquely created was the womb of the mother, protected from every kind of shock was created, has become the most dangerous place for the child most safe place God created has become the most dangerous place where every year millions upon millions are just afforded so that people can follow their lifestyle. Then it starts going on to other, other. Poverts are there all our men and women who are crazy about sex so they want sex with children, so they are used as objects. And then they are angry and they beat up children. God says, beware, 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 deal with your hurts. And the problem, what happens is, that's why I tell you young children, the problem is because many of your orphans and many have been hurt in life, if you do not allow the love of God to cleanse you, make you whole, when you grow up, you will hurt other children. That's a cycle. That's a cycle. You yourself who was predated on becomes a predator because that's the way the cycle works. That is why when you come to God's house allow God's love to make you whole. So that instead of hurting children you put your arms around them and says, you know what you are safe with me. I love you. You are safe. You are safe because I know what it was to be hurt. Therefore you are safe. Absolutely safe only God can do. Only God can do. And ask God. That is why Jesus asked people, what do you want? Everybody wanted this this thing. He would ask some people, do you want to be made whole? Do you want to be made? In, for, in my terms to the man who has been lying at the pool of Bethesda, cripple for 38 years, he says, do you want to be made whole? And he stopped thinking about healing. And Jesus just Want to make him whole. Pick up your mat and walk. He's picked up. He's well. Jesus leaves, goes back to the temple. The man is there at the temple. And he's there at the temple. You know what Jesus says? Do not. In my reading, it is this. Do you know why you were crippled first in 38 years? Because you kicked a lot of people. You kicked a lot of people, so God had to put you down for thirty eight years so you wouldn't kick anybody, and you felt the kick of so many. now you know what it feels like now don't sin again. something worse will happen something worse will happen okay there are laws God has set doesn't change for anybody doesn't change for anybody okay so Book of Galatians is very clear. Yes, works of faith, 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 faith. Enoch, Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, all great. It's wonderful. But if you don't have love, it's worth nothing. It's worth nothing. God, it's worth nothing. The second side of love we talk about. We talk about the obedience of faith. We always talk about the obedient, real faith has obedience. Or the key of receiving and using, being used of God, the key is, we say, is obedience. But we don't realize that the key of receiving the love of God and more and more the love of God and having the love of God flowing out to you also is obedience. This is how Jesus put it. Okay, let's look at what Jesus said. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. It's like a circle. If you want my commandments, you have to love me. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And the more you keep my commandments, the more I will give you more commandments. The more commandments you keep, the more you will love me. It's like a circle. Meaning, if very little laws of God are written in your heart, it is because you have loved him less. It's no longer in the tablet. God says, I will write my law on the tablets of your heart. And you look into your heart, there are hardly anything that governs anything about the kingdom of God and your relationship with God and others in your heart. It's because you have kept very little. I've said this before, but this is what God told. Genesis 26 and verse 5. Because Abraham obeyed my voice, kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my 500 years before the law was given, to Israel through Moses, it was already given to one man because he kept it. The more he kept it, more God re- revealed his laws to him. Because if you want a closer walk with God, there are more rules. There are more rules. The closer walk with God, but these are given by God. It is no longer written in tablets of stone. It is written in our heart. Some people have no rules at all. Absolutely casual about God. God says, it is not an indictment on God, it's an indictment on you. Because very little I can tell you, because you have, like I told the church yesterday, and every church I tell them, it's a the first step. What's the first step? I asked them, what time does your church begin? This time. I said, what time did you come? That's the first step. First step, I come before time because my God, my King comes at this time. So I come before him. That's simple protocol on earth in heaven. I come before him. Second step, worship. Third step, prayer. Fourth step, word. Fifth step, fellowship. When you are wrong in your first step, every step is affected. So people are not able to worship, they don't pray, they are not able to really pray, they are distracted while prayer is going on, they are not able to hear the word, and they run away without fellowship. Why? Because you missed the first step. You didn't honor him as God. Simple. Very simple. I'm not saying any, it's because of an unfortunate event that happened. I'm talking about when you are very casual about it regularly. In your personal life, in your personal life, Which is secret, which only God sees. You are very casual about your first step. And in your public life. There are two lives. Personal, public and private. That's what God says. Over there. Verse John. Let's go back to John 14. Jesus answered and said to him. If anyone loves me. He will keep my word. And my father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me, does not keep my See, it's a circle. He who keeps my words, love me. He who loves me, keeps my word. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. It's as simple as that. Like I said, I have many children. Many, 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 many children. Hundreds and hundreds of spiritual children. But the ones who really love me, as the ones who have told them, this is what it is, just keep it. And they keep it, even without seeing me. That's it. It It's a simple thing as a father I understand. Spiritual children, physical children, who are the ones who love me? The ones who kept my word. And I will never tell them to do something which is contrary to the word of God. Put God first. That's the only thing I ask every child of mine. Put God first. When you don't do that, everything else falls apart. As simple as that. He who does not love me, does not keep my words. Again, Jesus puts this together. Love and obedience go together. See, John will write this later in his epistle. Let's see what John says in his epistle. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 to 12. Beloved, let us love one another for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Stunning statement. And you look at it, you start understanding, oh my gosh, am I born of God? Do I really know God? He who does not love does not know, for God is It's self explanatory. I don't have to give you any more message on these verses. It speaks for itself. In this, the love of God was manifested towards us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love has been perfected in us. It doesn't stop there. Verse 16 and 17. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Love has been perfected among us in this that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. You see, suddenly he puts a clue over there. Everybody is going to face judgment one day. And when you stand on the day of judgment, it is not your works that counts. It's whether you love during your work. God says, if you knew that you really loved the purple you, people you served, God says, you can stand before me with confidence, with boldness. As he is, so we are. So do you remember this message? John chapter 6, 63. What was the message? John 6, 63. It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits. The flesh profits. That's the fundamental nature of the carnal man. How does this profit me? What does this profit me? Yesterday on the spur, I didn't realize... Uh, the pastor who heard in Pastor Vijay also was touched by the illustration, but on the spur God gave me an illustration to speak to because you, when you go into setups like that, you have to entirely trust God because you need illustrations which they can understand and not which you will think too silly, too below our dignity. Okay? I'll tell you what it is. Think about two scenarios separate. Okay? Here is a mother in the kitchen cooking and here is the chef in the star hotel cooking with his cap and white apron all starched. Okay, two people are cooking. Outwardly if you look at them, it looks wow, look at her cooking, look at him cooking, look at him, look at all the scenery he creates and look at her cooking. Okay. Now when she is cooking, she's cooking for her husband, she's cooking for her children. Okay? She's cooking for her children. So her mind works differently. A mind is looking at what does my husband like what is good for my family I am the custodian of their health and their well-being what is there what is good for them and also it is not taste that is first it is health that is first but healthy yet tasty that's how and when she's putting health everything she uses everything is very very careful what she buys what she uses she's very careful because Her action, her thought, her emotions are in one line. Here is this man who is cooking. He is also. When he is cooking, he is thinking about the customer and his salary. Customer and salary. Health is not first taste. I have to make it as tasty as possible even if it kills him in the long run because... (laughs) exactly exactly that's why they add msg and all this stuff which we go and oh it was so tasty oh so tasty because half the stuff they add is which will kill you because otherwise you won't come back why are people addicted to nicotine cigarettes to drugs alcohol because it has got addictives in it which makes us addicts to it the same thing with food why do people keep on going to restaurants to eat because of the taste not because of health how many of you eat at subway <laughs> Why? There's no taste in it. Because it's supposed to be healthy. So here is this fellow sitting. He's also, actions are fantastic outwardly. What is his heart over there? It is profit. The customer is just a customer. It's just a piece of meat for him. How do I cook to see he keeps coming back, coming back, coming back, coming back, coming back, coming back, so that I will get my salary and my salary will keep on increasing at the cost of his death. It doesn't bother him. And also, how do I maximize my profits by using ingredients which are cheap and unhealthy and the water doesn't matter. That is why when you go to a restaurant, there is something written over there about the kitchen, no entry. Whether you can go to your mother's kitchen anytime you want, unless you disturb her. So here, her mind, her heart, her action is captivated by love. This is by profit. Now ask yourself, how do you work? You want me to give the word which will make you addicts, which you keep coming because you feel so good and you put money in the bag or do I give you something which is good for you? That's why Paul says when I preach, I don't preach to man, I preach to God first. Because it should help you. It should keep you alive and should give you the boldness to praise God on the day you stand before him. Ask, how do we function? When your mind, your emotions, your thought and your actions are all captivated by love and truth, it is called righteousness. The kingdom of God is righteousness. If one is out of place, righteousness is missed. If you do it perfectly well, all the ingredients are fine, it's all nice and healthy, but there is no love. God says you are not righteous. When Jesus did his work, all three was in line. He had compassion upon the people, but he would only give them truth, even if it hurt them and got them mad. And you know what? He always served the best. Because he functioned in love and truth. So scripture will say, speak the truth in love. Let faith work in Get these principles deep in life. You can't do it on your own. Keep on asking God, Lord, make me whole. Make me whole. Because this is the fundamental problem in life is that everybody is looking. How does it profit me? How does it profit me? A worship leader can think that way. How does it profit me? 30 minutes. Kuch kuch How does it profit me? It's a headache. I have to study. I have to work. I have to take care of all these things. And then 30 minutes of. So, Tang 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 gone How does it profit me? Why? Outwardly, you look at it; It doesn't profit me at all. But it can profit. Deliverance can take place. Anointing can flow. Healing can take place. People can get set free. But what is in there for me? The one who prays can think that way. That's why Scripture, Jesus says, "No, your prayer is not tested when you pray in public. Your prayer is tested. How you pray in." secret and that also in the spirit because when a man or a woman prays in the spirit his mind has no and it is not how much you pray in the secret in the mind it's how much you pray in the secret in the spirit because the flesh profits nothing if ever you were to get the interpretation of what you're praying in the spirit you would probably stop praying because it's nothing for you or your family or your children it's for all for others whom you don't like That's why scripture says he doesn't give interpretation to the, those who speak in tongues unless somebody interprets. Because it profits you nothing. Profits you nothing. Jesus is hard hitting in his messages. Very hard hitting so that we will come to the truth and the truth set us free. What does it profit the flesh? What is there in for me? Look at what he says in Matthew chapter 5. If you love those who love you, what reward have you? Big deal. You love your children. Big deal. You love your grandchildren. Big deal. It's your grandchildren. It's your blood, right? That's what I said. What changed my life in one of, one person who changed my life in my walk was Mathulika. Because when she came, nobody wanted her. <laughs> because she looked grotesque. And if I could love her like my own, I realized the love the Bible talked about was real. You can love somebody's child just like your own, probably even more. Till today I miss her. I think about her all the time. It's not my child, somebody threw her in the dustbin. What difference does it make? You see, we are all able to love our own and we think we are loving people. God says, you know what, you are under the category of what? Tax collector. You are just like any tax collector. The law was wrong. In the Jewish society, the the ones who have betrayed their nation, just like you. Anybody loves their own. Like I said, even the mafia boss who gives the hit job to his hitmen to kill other people's children loves his own. You know better. But he says, <laughs> if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Don't even attack collectors? Are you able to love others? Somebody else's children like yours? It's a constant test for us. Because we all love our own. Because it's natural. It's called natural affection. But God says, we just like a pagan. And the fact of the matter is, we all wander in life like pagans. Experiencing and eating out of the goodness of God daily and giving nothing back. Nothing back. Yet our promise is, to dwell in the house of the Lord. And our desire is to dwell in the house of the Lord. But there is a promise connected with if you really dwell in the house of the Lord. Also the Father and act like the Father. Scripture says in Psalm 592. The righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. Shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall bear, still bear fruit in them. Even when they are old. They still have so much to give because the love of God is flowing through them. They have been planted deep by the waters, by the Spirit of God. They never run out of resources or strengths to give because they have learned to be rooted in God. They allowed themselves to become channels. That's why love and obedience are conjoined twins. If you love me, you will obey me. And he who obeys me, loves me. And Jesus reveals the secret of his life in his messages to his disciples. His passion for his father. In John chapter 15. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just I have kept in my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and your joy may be full. He says, you know what? I was passionate about my father. I loved him. Therefore, what did I do? I kept his commandments. That's how I remained. He says, I am not telling you something to do which I myself did not do. I loved my God. I kept his commandments. As I kept my commandments, I loved him. And he poured his love into me and I abided with him. He says, so can. He says, people are so miserable and lonely and depressed and discouraged, even in the house of God, because they all have become dead seas. They're not giving out. Taking, 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 taking from God. Everybody, the rain of God falls upon the righteous and the unrighteous. I am alive. Thank you. They don't even say thank you. They breathe, they eat, they drink, they wear, they're protected, they live on. But they're not giving out anything. It's all about, if I have to give, the first question is, what is there in for me? How does it profit me? And if it doesn't profit, one week, two weeks, after that it's over. God says, kingdom of God hasn't failed. We have failed the kingdom of God. Everything he does, he does because he loves Everything he does because he loves. Even the discipline of God is because he loves. Because he loves. Revelation 3 verse 19. As many as I love, I rebuke and chase. Therefore be zealous and repent. This is because I love, I rebuke. But today what happens? Children don't love anybody who rebukes them. For them, when children are children, for them, those who really love them are the ones who let them go wild. Children, if you're in the classroom, will love the teacher who comes and jokes with them and makes them laugh and doesn't teach. Oh, munchy teacher. Great. Super teacher. What did he teach? I can. I remember the jokes. I don't know what he taught. As if government appointed jokers. There are pastors on TV like that. Wonderful names called Duplantis and all. You listen to them from the beginning of their message to the end. You are laughing, 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 laughing. As if God appointed jokers behind the pulpit. You don't get anything out at the end. You go back feeling good in the flesh. But after that, You realize, what did you teach? Discipline is there. Because you love. Don't, I always tell parents, don't discipline if you don't love. Discipline, the authority to discipline is given to those who love. When you are angry, don't discipline. When you are upset with somebody or somebody else, don't discipline, it's not yours. Because what happens? You break scripture which says, be angry, but do not sin. You sin. Sin. God disciplines. It's because he loves us. Loves us. Love and obedience. It's incredible if you read a portion. I wanted to read that portion from the Bible. In Deuteronomy 11, when he's talking to one generation, it's interesting, okay, two generations are there like this. Friends set all children back, all parents, okay, two generations sitting like this, and God is speaking to the older generation, skipping the children and talking to the parents. Therefore you shall love the Lord your God, keep his charge, his statutes, his judgment, and his commandments always. Love the Lord and keep his commandments. Note today that I do not speak with your children. I'm not speaking to your children. I'm speaking... To you, first generation who came. I'm speaking to you. Your children who have not known and who have not seen the chastening of the Lord your God, they have not seen how I am disciplining you. They don't understand. When the father winches, he has no idea why father is wandering around like this. He has no clue. He has no idea the father is being chastened. The kid has no clue. He says, you have no clue. They have no clue. I'm talking to you. And his mighty hand and his outstretched arm. They, ha- they haven't experienced it. When they came out of Egypt, they were all Chinna Baba. Small kids. They have no experience. If you ask them, what did you see? Uh, some thunder, some lightning. That's all. They have no clue. His signs, his acts which he did in the midst of Egypt to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, to all his land. What he did to the army of, of Egypt? To their horses and their chariots. How he made the waters of the Red Sea overflow them as they pursued you. How the Lord has destroyed them to this day. What he did for you in the wilderness until you came to this place? What he did to Datan, Abiram, the sons of Eliab, the son of Reuben? How the earth opened its mouth, swallowed them up, their households, their tents, and all the substance that was in their possession in the midst of all Israel. But your eyes have seen every great act of the Lord which he did. Therefore, you shall keep. You have seen the love of God? Experience the love of God? You have seen the discipline of God? You have seen it both fathers? I'm not talking to your children. He says, your children as fallen. Well. They did not experience all this. But you did. And he says, from those of you who experienced all this, I expect more. You shall keep every commandment which I command you today that you may be strong. He says, the reason is that you will be strong and go in and possess the land which you cross over to possess. See, we have come back to cross over. He says, there's no way. I love you. And if you love me, he says, keep what I tell you, and you will be strong, and you will possess your future. We talk about destiny, destiny, destiny. It just doesn't fall like a, like a parachute from heaven. He says, there are conditions attached to fulfilling your destiny. I will speak to you, you keep it. I will speak to you, you keep it. By keeping it, you prove to me that you love me. The more you love me, the more you will keep and the more you keep, I will pour out my love into your heart. So not only are you are keeping my law, you are also a loving person in the midst of it. Because the worst thing you can have is a set of people who keep the law without loving people. He's called a Pharisee. It's called a Pharisee. So there we are. This is what God is telling. Where do we stand today? Do our minds, our thoughts and our actions tally? Tally? That's what Hebrews 4.12 says. You know what the problem is? The word of God is living and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and the spirit. Which no surgeon can do. He will cut your body, he can't touch your soul. A little part of the soul, he will say, okay, okay, you will hurt, so I will give you an Beyond that, he can't go beyond word. God says, the word of God is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. God says, be my children. Be my children. God so loved the world, so he gave his only begotten son. He had only one son. He had only one son. What did he do? He gave his only one son for other sons, who were not his sons. That is ministry. That's ministry. That's why flesh profits nothing in this. And if you're looking at flesh, you will not go any further. I'm not saying you will not be successful in this world. That's got nothing to do with the kingdom of God because prof- flesh profits nothing. There is a balance. And Jesus is not contradicting himself. It's not. It's interesting how he uses two things which looks as contradictions, but he's not contradicting himself. In Matthew chapter 5, he says, You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket on a lampstand. It gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. He says they should see your works. Then in the same tone, the same sermon, he says in Matthew 6, take heed you do not do your charitable deeds before men. Otherwise, you have no reward from your father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as hypocrites in the synagogue and the streets that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. What? Is he contradicting himself? He says, let your deeds be seen. Then he says, let your deeds not be seen. What he's saying is that you should first practice the life of doing things in secret over and over. Ultimately, it will be seen. Nobody can hide it. It becomes your life, not certain actions at certain moments of time. It becomes life because I have come to give you not a set of rules. I have to come to give you life. You the life of God. Consistent. Your mind, your thought, your emotions, your actions tally. They're one straight line which is called righteousness. The way you treat your child, the way you treat somebody else's child, the way you treat your sister, the way you treat your maidservant is all the same. You treat them with respect. You treat them with love. You don't treat them because we have this issue. That's where the whole world is. India and America are caught up over there because one country for 300 years they had slavery and we had a caste system for 5000 years and we are struggling. We cannot handle it the fact that the people of the lower caste are rising. We have to keep them down. We have to keep them down. They are meant to serve us. No, they are not meant to serve us. It's there deep inside us. And that's the whole racist struggle you are facing in America. The white man, the white man, the white man, the white man, the white man. God says, be very careful. We don't realize we have these hidden things in our head because that's exactly the way we treat those who are below us. I told in one of the men's meetings, I said, you know what, if I were to tell you this thing, I were to tell you this thing, you will all be so nice and kind to me because I'm the pastor. It means nothing. How you treat somebody who is below you is a reflection of your character. It's not somebody who is above you. That is very, the Bible is very clear. Employers, be very, employees, listen to you. employees, but employers, be very careful of you. Treat your employees because remember, God is a judge and he is watching you. Rich, be very careful. Your riches will rot with you because the poor are crying out the way you are treating them. God's hand is hard against those who have power over others. Others. Remember, very hard because the nature of power without love is always abuse understand that. The nature of power is like that. You have power with no love, you will abuse. Jesus has power, he has love, he always is giving. The devil has power, he has no love, he is an abuser. And God says there are only two fathers. Only two fathers. One is God from heaven, the other is the other fellow. Whose children are you? That's why we go before God and consciously as saying, Lord, even if I don't do, if I am not able to love, let me not do anything. Or rather stick to a job which doesn't need much interaction. I'll stick to that. Because I don't want to be judged for being unloving, unkind and an abuser of mankind. The only question Jesus asked Peter before he could send him to anything was, Peter, let me ask you a question. Do you love me? Yes, Lord. Then feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord. Feed my lambs. I'll give you sheep. I'll give you lambs. If you love me, Take care of them. If you are not able to love, God will not send people who need help into your lives. Because if you really love, God will send people into your lives who need help. People have sent people into my life who were actually called by others as trash. They call them trash. Nobody would touch them anywhere near I know what people said about people. They always just say, don't say anything to me. Give everybody a chance. I don't want to hear anything. I want to hear anything. I don't want to hear anything. I always tell my pastors on Pastor's Confidence, do you know why I'm able to love you all with my heart? Because I don't know anything about you. I don't want to know anything about you. Because the problem is when we don't have love, automatically our ears are open to gossip to justify our lack of love. the way the human nature works. Because I don't have love and I'm not able to love Peter. My ears are always sensitive to hear something bad about Peter to justify, okay, I'm right in not loving him. He is all like that. That's why the priests in the Old Testament before they could ever hear from God, their ears had to be anointed with blood. Anointed with blood. The blood of the Lamb. So that they could hear the voice of God. Understand how the kingdom of God works and functions. That's why God says the word of God is a double-edged sword. It pierces and shows us as we really are. Really are. If we are not faithful in these little, little things, how can God commit big things into our hands? How can He commit? Into our hands. And all of us here, except the smallest little babies wandering around, everybody is responsible for somebody. Even little Zara who's turning three is responsible for Judah. And the first thing when I, said, I met Zara today and I said, Hi Zara, you've become big. She said, I'm taking care of my brother. Praise God. That's the way it should be. I'm responsible for him. I'm not like Cain. Where is your brother? Am I my brother's keeper? She's saying, I am my brother's keeper at three. That's what it should be. I am my brother's keeper. Isn't that 1 John 3.16? and John 3.16, parallel verses, he laid down his life for us, so we laid down. I'm not talking about empty emotional love, love which is balanced by truth. Otherwise, we will miss out on the kingdom and the power and our destiny and the plans and the purposes God has for individuals. We will miss out. Don't miss out. Children don't miss out. Children be very very clear. Very clear when you think. You know much by now. You don't know much. Be very clear. You understand what real love is. Where there is no truth there is no love. Where there is love without truth it is not love. So there is the discipline of God. And there is the love of God. They go hand in hand. And if your teacher doesn't discipline you, only fools around with you, he's not a good teacher. He's a lousy teacher who is sowing the seeds of destruction in your life. If your parent just allows you to do whatever you want and you think that parent is a very loving parent, he's not a loving parent. He or she is sowing seeds of destruction into your life because that's how God's laws work. There has to be discipline. There has to be love. Unconditional love for the person and discipline because you love that person. That's how it works. That's how it works. Learn. We are all changing. And we have to change as we hear the word towards the word of God. We didn't know all these things. We didn't know all these things. What we learned. Like I said, we become good parents when we become grandparents. Because we learned in the laboratory of our own children. And then when we become grandchildren, we, I, I, I'm not a grandfather, but I have a lot of grandchildren. I learned how to love those who are not my own, how to discipline all those months, weeks, years that kid was with me. I didn't have only once, one span. After that, all I had to say, should I take that? No. Yes, my wife. She used to say, when you are there, that child is an angel. No misbehavior at all. Absolutely obedient. Two weeks from now, your mother is coming. I haven't seen her, you haven't seen her. This is her name. When she comes, first when I tell you, kiss her, then you go to her and you're going with her. Okay? Okay. When I saw her, that's your mother. Go to her, go. You're going with her. Are you coming? I said, no. I have to preach. You said, you have to preach? I said, yes, I have to preach. You will come again? I said, sometime. Okay, I'm going. Went. You think you can't discipline a child? She loved them? Constantly. Enforce that one idea in their head over and over. This is what is right and you can do it because I love you. I love you. Therefore I have your best in my mind. You need to go. You need to go. You need to go. Till today she still cries in her sleep. When she wakes up in her sleep she still asks for her papu. It's been eight months. I'm counting every day. It's been eight months. You can. It's the word of God. You can love, you can discipline, and they will obey. That's what Jesus said. If you obey, you love me, and if you love me, you will obey me. I still remember that the first time I tapped her, it hurt her. She was shocked that I tapped her. She stood there in shock and she started crying as if her whole world had collapsed that I disciplined her. And she put her hands and she hugged and she cried and cried. That's all that was needed all those years. Don't break my heart. I won't break your heart. I will listen to whatever you say. God says that's what I said. You look at my son on the cross hanging over there. You obey me because I love you. Don't break my heart again. Simple as that. When you fail, you fail not because you didn't love him. Not because you didn't love him. Because you fell in a moment of weakness, but you always loved him. Therefore, when you failed, you were miserable. That is David. Miserable. Come oh, Lord, I want to come back to you. God says, you know, you can come back. You can't come back. Because the one thing I know you about David, you love me. You're passionate about me. That's why you're grieving in your misery. These people who don't grieve in their sin, in their this thing, you know what? They don't love God. Just have religion. Children who do all kinds of crazy things against their parents and are not even bothered at all. They don't love. They don't love. The whole world goes around because of God so loved the world. Ask God, Lord, shed your love abroad into my hearts, so that I too can love like you, the unlovables, unlovables, the non-good-looking ones who will have one eye limping, no good looks, no color, nothing. Lord, I will be able to love like you. After five husbands and living with the sixth one, what do you think the Samaritan woman looked like? Have you just seen what sin does to a people's facial re- features? You see them? You see, look at a young actress from 20 years ago from Hollywood and what she looks like today without the paint. You can see what has happened to them because of sin. What do you think she looked like? Hag, marred by misery and sin. And for that one woman, he walks and he walks. And he walks and he's tired and he walks and he sits down and waits for her because his love is not constrained by anything that is outward, just a broken heart. Learn to love. Because you have been conditioned by all the ads you see. If you're fair and good looking, you are lovable. No, you are not. It's got nothing to do with what you are outward. thing. A thing. God did not love you and me because we are good looking. God did not love you and me because we were so good in our behavior. God did not love because we obeyed all his commandments. Scripture says he loved us when we were sinners, when we were enemies of God, when we were powerless. He loved us and died for us. God says, that's what I want you to receive from me. We don't have it. We receive it from him. And ask God, give me the grace, O Lord, to love like that. Then, You will go after that ark. You will follow him through the valleys and the mountains, through the forts and the hills and the battlegrounds, through it all. You will pursue that ark because that's, you realize what I wanted all my life. A love like that. You will realize all the songs written in every language, every love song is true. If it is about Christ, it is true. It is true. There is one who loves me like that. The fairest of 10,000. The lily of the valley. And his name is Jesus. Amen. Shall we stand? Father, we just thank you, Lord. We just thank you. We just thank you. We just thank you. We just thank you, Lord. We just thank you, Father. We know that we know that we know no one has ever loved us as you have loved us. No one has given everything up for us as you gave up for us. No one has given everything for us as you have given everything for us, O God. No one has, no one will give us the grace to love you. At least a fraction of the way you love us, O God. We will never be able, it's humanly impossible to love you the way you love us. But at least enable us to love you with all of our strength, oh God. With all of our mind, with all of our heart. Remove everything, everything that constrains us from loving you. Let us be balanced, oh Lord. Let us not be takers alone, but givers too. Let us not be givers alone, but allow us to receive too, Father. Help us to have balance in our life, Father balanced by your spirit. Help our hearts to be consumed by your love so that every work we do, Lord, is tainted by the love of God. Your church in the first century, Father, had was full of works. What the people said but was how they love each other. Let our words not be empty. Words with no deeds and deeds with no compassion, no feeling. We have it because we know how to love our own. Help us to love others within the body of Christ first like we love our own. Help us. Help us in our weakness, Spirit of God. Help us. Sanctify us first. Cleanse us of all this self, this flesh that looks for profit. Sanctify it. Burn it out, Lord. Then fill us with your love, your compassion, your kindness, your goodness, O Lord. Thank you, Father. Going to the end of this month, another month stands before. Help us to walk in your strength, in your power. And in the knowledge of who God is, oh Father. Thank you, thank you, Lord. We just praise you, we just worship you, we just glorify you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, Father. Now, by faith, we lift up holy hands and we just bless your holy name. As your children, we bless our Father. We bless you, we bless you, we bless you, Father. And we just want to confess once again, we love you, Lord, but teach us to love you more. Thank you, Father. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, rest and abide with each one of us. Amen and amen.